The Guardian. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join with me in paying tribute to Her Majesty the Queen during this... In what is an absolutely historic week, marking the 60th anniversary of her accession to the throne, Her Majesty's 60 years of remarkable leadership and dedicated public service are an inspiration to us all and something the whole country and the whole Commonwealth can be immensely proud of. Members will obviously have the opportunity to pay individual tributes during the humble address debate on the 7th of March. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House, I'm sure the whole House, not least myself, will wish to join the Prime Minister in his warm tribute to Her Majesty. Mr Speaker, in March last year, the Prime Minister said there is no reason for there to be fewer frontline police officers. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister now confirm that frontline officer numbers have been cut in 40 out of 43 police forces? The proportion of officers on the front line is up, and I'm sure sure he'll want to join me in congratulating Mayor Boris Johnson on his excellent record on crime in our capital. Total crime is down. Violent crime is down on buses and tubes. 11,000 knives and guns have been taken off our streets. And there are 1,000 more officers on the streets of London at the end of his term than at the beginning. That, together with his reminder of the uh, rule of the dangers of tweeting, I think is a good start to the day. Mr David Amos. Does my right honourable friend share my disappointment at the overthrow yesterday of the first democratically elected president of the Maldives in a coup d'etat, and given our historic links with the islands, will the government, by way of a message, do all they can to ensure that no violence results and that the democratic institutions remain? Well, my honourable friend is right. This country does have strong links with the Maldives and does have a good relationship with President Nasheed. But I think we have to be clear, President Nasheed has resigned um, and we have a strong interest in the well-being of several thousand British tourists and in a stable and democratic government in the Maldives. Our High Commissioner is in the capital now and meeting all of the political leaders. We call on the new government to demonstrate its respect for the rights of all political parties and their members and to ensure that the constitution is upheld. We advise British tourists to avoid non-essential travel to Marley Island and those using Marley Airport and the tourist resorts should exercise caution. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Her Majesty the Queen as we celebrate her Diamond Jubilee? Her dedication to the country and to public service is an inspiration and an example to us all. And we all look forward to the official celebrations later this year, which will enable us to celebrate both Her Majesty and our country. Mr Speaker, on the day the Prime Minister completed his NHS listening exercise, he said this, some of the people who work in the NHS were sceptical of our changes. Today, we are taking people with us. 
and it, and, it is in, and, and it is in that spirit of unity that we want to continue. Why does he think he's failed? Today, 95% of the country is covered by general practitioners who are not actually supporting our reforms, they're implementing our reforms. Yes. And just, and just, and just today... Uh, order. The House must calm down. There's a long way to go. Let's hear the answers. There'll be plenty of time. Calm. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And just today, 50 foundation trusts have written to the newspapers in support of our reforms and objecting to what Labour are proposing. And the signature at the top of the list, which he may not have noticed, is one Anne Campbell, the former Labour MP for Cambridge. She, running her local foundation trust, supports the reforms. That is what happens. Labour MPs leave this House and they start implementing coalition policy. Mr Speaker, even he doesn't believe that nonsense that he just came out with. Last Friday, last Friday, the Royal College of General Practitioners said this about his health bill, and I quote, it will cause irreparable damage to patient care and jeopardise the NHS. Well, the Health Secretary is shouting from a sedentary position. It's nice to see him here. distance away, I notice. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister, the Pri- the Prime Minister says, the Prime Minister says he wants the voice of doctors to be heard in the NHS. Why doesn't he listen to them? Well, it's always good to get a lecture on happy families from the Right Honourable Member. Look, I, I, I care passionately about our NHS, not least because of what it's done for my family and because of the amazing service that I've received. Now, I want to see that excellent service implemented for everyone. And that means two things. It means we've got to put more money into the NHS, and we are putting the money in. But it also means we've got to reform the NHS. Now, he used to be in favour of the reform. Let me read him this. Who said this? To safeguard the NHS in tougher fiscal times, we need sustained reform. That was in the Labour manifesto at the last election. And on the issue of money, because the money in the NHS is important, we are committed to £12.5 billion in this Parliament, and yet his health spokesman, sitting right there, said, and I quote, it would be irresponsible, irresponsible, irresponsible to spend more money on the NHS. They're not in favour of the money, they're not in favour of the reform, they're just a bunch of opportunists. Mr Speaker, isn't this interesting because because he says this is all about reform. The Tory reform group has come out against these proposals. Mr Speaker, it comes to something when even the Tories don't trust the Tories on the NHS. Now, now listen to what Claire Garada, the chair of the Royal College of GPs... Oh, 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 o
Mr Speaker. Oh, so, so when the people that they want to put at the heart of the NHS say things about their bill, they just groan. It says it all about the benches opposite. Listen to what she said, and I quote, This bill is a burden. It makes no sense. It's incoherent. It won't deal with the big issues, and it will result in a health service that certainly will never match the health service we had 12 months ago. Mr Speaker, which part of that doesn't he understand? Well, let's look at what's happened to the NHS over the last 18 months. Yes, let's look at the figures. 100,000 patients treated more every month. 4,000 extra doctors since the NHS. The number of clinical staff up. The level of hospital-acquired affections down. The number of people who are in mixed-sex wards down by 94%. That is what's happening because you've got a combination of money going in and reform. Now, we know what happens if you don't put in the money and you don't do the reform because there's one part of the NHS that is run by Labour, and that is in Wales. So let us have a look at what is happening to the NHS in Wales. They've cut the money and one third of people are waiting longer than 18 months, 18 weeks. That is what's happening in Labour's NHS and if you didn't put the money in and if you didn't have the reform, it would happen right here too. I'm not surprised, Mr Speaker, he's getting so agitated because he thought, because he thought that the NHS was his way to modernise the Conservative Party. And I'm afraid it's coming apart. And I'll tell him why it's coming apart. Because the promises he made before the election are coming back to haunt him. We all remember that promise. No more top-down reorganisation. And now he says he knows better than the doctors, better than the nurses, better than the midwives, better than the patients' associations, people, people who day in, day out, rely on and devote their lives to the health service. Now, Mr Speaker, this is a matter of trust in the Prime Minister. Can he honestly look people in the health service in the eye and say he's kept his promise of no more top-down reorganisation? What we're doing is cutting the bureaucracy in the NHS. We are taking out four and a half billion pounds of bureaucracy that will be ploughed into patient care. Now, if you don't support the reform, you won't see that money go into operations, doctors, nurses, hospitals, healthcare assistants. That is what is actually happening in the NHS. But there's one group of people I won't listen to, and that is the people who ran the NHS under Labour. This is what they did. Six billion pounds wasted on the NHS computer. £250 million spent on private sector operations that were never carried out. We've still got private finance initiative agreements where we pay £300 every time someone changes a light bulb. That is what we got from Labour. We are putting the money in, we're putting the reform in, the operations are up, the waiting times are down, the NHS is improving and that's the way it's going to stay. I'll tell him about our record on the NHS, Mr Speaker. The shortest waiting times in NHS history. More doctors and nurses than ever before. The highest level of patient satisfaction ever in the health service. But everyone will have heard a Prime Minister 
unable to defend the promise he made, the promise of no more top-down reorganisations, a Prime Minister who has broken his word. And the reality is this. All his attention is on this pointless top-down reorganisation and the front line is suffering. The number of people waiting more than 18 weeks up under him. A&E targets being missed, cancelled operations. Mr Speaker, why won't he just give up and stop wasting billions and drop his bill? If, if the record was so good, why were they thrown out at the last election? Right, no, let me just... I'm worried. I'm worried about opposition members. They must calm themselves and do so straight away. The Prime Minister. Let, let me remind the Right Honourable Gentleman of the clear test that he set for the reforms and that he set for the government. He said the test was whether waiting times and waiting lists would come down. Let me now give him the figures. The figures are these. Inpatient waiting times, down. Outpatient waiting times, down. The number of people waiting more than a year, down to its lowest ever. The number of people waiting for six months, down to its lowest ever level. And indeed, the number of people on the waiting list. What he said was the clear test, that is down. That's what it proves about this Labour leader. Even when he moves the goalposts, he can't put it in the back of the net. Mr Speaker, the, the person who's moving the goalposts is the Prime Minister. The reality is that the, key, that the key test that was set for the health service was the number of people waiting more than 18 weeks. And that number is up 43% since the general election. Now, however much he twists and turns, that is the reality. And look, Mr Speaker, he knows in his heart of hearts this is a complete disaster, this bill. That's why his aides are saying the health secretary should be taken out and shot, because they know it's a disaster. The reality about this bill is this. The doctors know it's bad for the NHS, the nurses know it's bad for the NHS, and patients know it's bad for the NHS. Every day he fights for this bill. Every day trust in him on the NHS ebbs away, and every day it becomes clearer the health service is not safe in his hands. I've got to tell him, the career prospects for a right honourable friend are a lot better than his. <laughs> That's what this is about. This is not a campaign to save the NHS. This is a campaign to try and save his leadership. And I make this prediction. The NHS will go on getting better and his prospects will go on getting worse. Yeah! Mr Gordon Birtwistle. Thank you, Thank you, Mr Speaker. When, when... When the work programme was introduced in Burnley in October 2010, the people economically active was 66%. Since then, it has climbed to 75%. Would the Prime Minister like to congratulate the people of Burnley, and in particular Venus Recruitment, for that success? I certainly join my honourable friend in congratulating not only the people in Burnley, but also the people conducting the work programme and conducting our welfare reforms because I think what we're seeing is more people actually becoming able to work and therefore able to enter the workforce and to raise not only the country's living standards but raise their own living standards too. Mark Hendrick. Mr Speaker, the people of Preston are furious that the Indian government has selected a French company as a preferred bidder for the Indian Air Force, for the Indian Air Force jet. 
Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister goes on repeatedly about rebalancing the British economy. This is a major blow to manufacturing in this country. Other European leaders can go and help their companies get major contracts. Why is this week Prime Minister not doing that and why haven't we got this contract for the Indian Government? I think the honourable gentleman ought to think about the fact that all European leaders are actually backing the Eurofighter project. It's a German project, it's an Italian project, it's a Spanish project, it's a British project, and that's how it should be. I'm very disappointed by what's. I'm very disappointed by what has happened in it, in, in India. But Eurofighter is not out of the contest, and we need to re-engage as hard as we can to make sure that we get the best deal for all those workers in Britain who make Eurofighters, and instead of shouting from a sedentary position, I think this is something that ought to unite parties in this House, getting behind our great defence producers. Penny Mordaunt. In order that a constituent of mine could access the drugs and treatment she was entitled to under the NHS Constitution, her GP, her consultant, her specialist oncologist, the Secretary of State for Health and I had to write a total of 70 appeal letters. When will healthcare professionals be able to decide what treatments their patients get? I think the Honourable Lady raised an important point, which is since the introduction of the Cancer Drugs Fund under this government, 10,000 more people have been able to get cancer drugs that are so essential. And let me tell you one thing that would really damage cancer treatment in this country, and that is the proposal from the party opposite to cap at 5% any private sector involvement in our hospitals. In the Royal Marsden, one of the best cancer hospitals in the country, they would have to cut they would have to cut by a quarter the services that they deliver. What a crazy left-wing plan that only the Honourable Gentleman could come up with. Right, Davis. Mr Speaker, in three months' time, just before the Olympics, Abu Qatada, a truly dangerous man, will be roaming the streets of London with his mobile phone and internet access, thanks to the Prime Minister abolishing control orders and house arrest provisions. How can the Prime Minister justify putting the public's right to life at risk in order to give over to the Liberal Democrats on their demands to abolish control orders? The situation with Abu Qutada is completely unacceptable. As I said when I went to Strasbourg to make a speech in front of the Council of Europe about this issue, it is not acceptable that we end up with a situation where you have someone in your country that threatens to do you harm, that you cannot try, you cannot detain and you cannot deport. And that is why the government will do everything it can, working with our Jordanian friends and allies, to make sure that he can be deported. And again, instead of sniping about this, the whole House ought to unite to help sort this out. Dr Julian Lewis. As recently as last September, only a tiny handful of the 165 acute mental health adult inpatient beds in Hampshire were vacant. Yet the Trust Concerned proposes to cut those 165 beds to 107, replacing them with something called a hospital at home or a virtual ward. Given that I believe that the statistics on which this is based are inconsistent and unreliable, will the Prime Minister support my call for independent experts from the Audit Commission to look at those figures before those beds are closed?
Well, I think the, the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point. Of course, we're putting the extra resources into the NHS, but there need to be a clear series of tests, as there are now under our plans, before any facilities are changed or closed. And that is about making sure there is GP backing for what is proposed and making sure that any such changes would improve the health of that area. Very happily look at the issue that he raises and make sure the Department of Health engage with him on that issue. Mr Andrew Miller. Four police authorities, including one I share with the Chancellor, have just uh, started buying Hyundai cars imported from Korea. Add to that the Thameslink fiasco, add to that Olympic tickets. When are we going to see some leadership from the Prime Minister about public procurement in this country? The most important things in terms of police procurement is that police forces get together and procure together to cut their costs. I think we've all lost count of the times of wandering through police stations and seeing countless different types of vehicle all costing a large amount of money. What the public want is police on the streets, not money spent on unnecessary procurement. Andrew Stevenson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will have seen this morning's Select Committee report on Libya. Could my right honourable friend tell the House what steps he is taking to ensure the UK will be fully able to evacuate all UK nationals from conflict zones and reduce our reliance on civil charter aircraft. My honourable friend raises an important point. I think the Libya evacuation and other potential evacuations in a dangerous and unstable world have brought home to us the importance of having transport aircraft uh, in the uh, MOD and in the RAF. And I can announce today that because the Ministry of Defence's finances are now better run and better managed, and because we've found savings, we will be able to purchase an additional C-17 for the RAF. This aircraft is becoming an absolutely brilliant workhorse for the RAF in terms of bringing men and material into a war zone like Afghanistan, but also evacuating civilians in times of need. It's an important investment for the country, and I'm glad to announce that we can make it today. Elfin Fluid. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. May I first of all associate myself with the tributes uh, to Her Majesty the Queen? Um, yesterday, the All Party Independent Group on Stalking published its report. The Prime Minister knows of my interest in this subject, and the government consultation concluded yesterday. Will he now please meet with myself and a small group of all party members to discuss this urgent need for a stalking law? Well, we do take this issue very seriously. I'm very happy to meet with him and discuss it. I know that he's had conversations with the Home Office. We all want to get this issue right. And if there is a need for uh, legislative changes, there may well be opportunities in the next session for that sort of criminal justice legislation. And I'll happily meet and talk with him about it. David Brutley. During Apprenticeship Week, I'm proud to highlight that Macclesfield College has in- increased the number of its apprenticeships uh, from nine to 160 over the last three years, and, and that the government has increased the number of apprenticeships by 177,000 in the last year alone. Does my right honourable friend agree that uh, achievements like these illustrate the importance of, uh, the, and the commitment required to give uh, apprenticeships the focus and the attention and recognition that they deserve. Yeah. I, I think my honourable friend is entirely right. I think it is one of the most important investments we can make in the future industrial base of this country and helping young people is investing in apprenticeships. The number over the last year is up by a staggering 60%, 457,000 people starting apprenticeships. And in apprenticeships,
Apprenticeship Week, I think it's important to stress what we're doing to get over the objections in the past that people have had, making sure there are more apprenticeships more easily had by small businesses, by the payment of a simple fee, making sure that we have more higher-level apprenticeships so we show that apprenticeships are every bit as good as having a university degree and often involve a university degree, and also cutting the bureaucracy by allowing big businesses to actually run the apprenticeship schemes themselves rather than doing it via a training provider. All of these things I think will make a very big difference. Be grateful. Steve McCabe. Why hasn't the government lodged an appeal against the Abu Qatada judgment? Aren't you being dangerously complacent, Prime Minister? We are doing everything we can to get this man out of the country. The absolutely key thing to do is an agreement with Jordan about the way that he would be treated, because the European Court on Human Rights has made a very clear judgment on that. Now, I happen to think it is the wrong judgment. I regret that judgment. This guy should have been deported years ago. But nevertheless, if we can get that agreement with Jordan, he can be on his way. Complex employment law makes small businesses nervous about hiring new staff. Would the Prime Minister agree that we need a simpler alternative for our smallest firms for dismissal rules? I think my honourable friend is right to, to raise this issue. If every small business in the country hired an additional worker, that would go a long way to curing both long-term and youth and total unemployment at one stroke. We've got to make it easier for businesses to take people on. One of the key considerations businesses have is how difficult it is to let someone go if it doesn't work out, and that's why extending to two years the amount of time you have to work before you get access to a tribunal, I think, can make a real difference in terms of small business employment. We've heard from the Prime Minister how Italian governments and German governments are out there fighting for British jobs. Can the Prime Minister tell us exactly how many phone conversations he had directly with the Indian Prime Minister about the typhoon bid and when the last conversation actually took place? I raised this issue with the Indian Prime Minister repeatedly on my visit to India and indeed at the, the indeed at the G20 in Cannes. But let me just remind her of one important fact. When I loaded up an aeroplane with British businesses, including people like Rolls-Royce, and took them round the Gulf to sell our defence equipment, who was it who attacked me? Who was it who put out the press releases? Who was it who don't, doesn't stand up for British industry, British defence companies and British jobs? It's Labour. Mr Speaker, I visited the offices of the Bucks Free Press to hear what my constituents have been saying to them about proposed changes to health services at Wickham Hospital. And I can tell the Prime Minister that Labour's tragic legacy in my constituency is distrust and despair. Does he agree with me that the right way to deliver local accountability in healthcare in our constituencies is clinical commissioning and foundation trust status? I think my honourable friend is entirely right. The whole point of the reforms is to put the power in the hands of local doctors so that they make decisions on behalf of patients and what is good for healthcare in their local area. And we may well find that the community hospitals that were repeatedly undermined by the party opposite will actually get a great boost because local people and local doctors want to see them succeed. That's what our reforms are all about. Keely. 
father has left 40,000 women sick with anxiety and now they being, because of faulty medical products and now they're being failed by private clinics and by an NHS which is dithering about what to do with them. And in this saga we can see the future of a privatised NHS. So will the Prime Minister pledge, will the Prime Minister pledge to support those women in the NHS now and claim against the clinics later and will he drop the health and social care bill so that we don't have this happen again across the NHS? Let me, let me take the Honourable Lady's question in two, two halves, if I may. I think she's entirely right uh, about the scandal of the PIP implants. The Government has made absolutely clear that we will offer every one of those uh, women a free consultation and making sure that on the NHS we do everything we can to help them. It is an absolute scandal, and the private clinics that carried out those operations, they should feel the maximum pressure to undo the harm that they have done. But let me just say to her about the issue of greater competition and choice within the NHS, I actually think she should listen to past Labour politicians who've said themselves that actually greater choice, greater competition, the involvement of the private sector, that can help raise standards in our NHS system and that's why we should support it. Thank you Mr Speaker. The threat to shipbuilding jobs at Portsmouth Dockyard raises a question mark over not only 1,500 livelihoods at BAE, but also 32,000 jobs in the wider regional supply chain. I know that the Prime Minister shares my concerns about this, but will he commit to do all he can to, um, to protect this site where they've been building warships for over 500 years? Yeah. I, I think the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to speak up for Portsmouth, to speak up for her constituency and to speak up for shipbuilding. BAE Systems has not approached the government with any proposal to rationalise shipbuilding in the UK. As far as I'm aware, there are no decisions have yet been taken by the company. What I would say in terms of this government's commitment to the Royal Navy is that we are building the new frigates, we're building the global combat ship, we are building the hunter-killer submarines, there's the plans for replacing Trident and also there are the plans un well underway for having aircraft carriers. That is a major punch for the Royal Navy, which I strongly support. Mary Glendon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Treasury tax rates on North Sea oil and gas are putting 1,500 jobs at ONG North Tyneside at risk. Can I ask the Prime Minister not to be complacent about North, North East jobs, but to incentivise offshore development and guarantee tax relief on platform decommissioning in the budget, and to meet me, with me and others about the job situation in the North East? He's not bothered. I think the Honourable Lady raises an extremely important point. I saw for myself when I went to Aberdeen you know, how vital this industry is, and indeed, and indeed how much investment is taking place in the North Sea. Let me just remind her, though, that the reason we put up the uh, tax on North Sea was actually to cut petrol duty for families up and down the country. But we will make sure that... Uh, I don't know why members are falling about unable to contain themselves. I want to hear the Prime Minister's answer. The Prime Minister. We will make sure there is a good tax regime for the North Sea, both whether that is uh, servicing jobs in England or indeed in Scotland. Mr Peter Bone. Mr Speaker, last Wednesday the Commons rejected the Lords' attempt to wreck the Reform Bill. On seven occasions the Commons voted, the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister voted. But the Children's Minister, the Honourable Member for Brent Central, refused to support the Government and has spoken against the policy. Now, Mr Speaker, on occasion I have spoken against the Government and not supported them. But I am not a Government Minister. Why is she still a Government Minister?
but um, ah, we want to hear the Prime Minister's verdict on the Honourable Member for Brent Central. And we won't if there's too much noise. The Prime Minister. I, I thought he was going to say yes. Um, the Honourable Lady is a government minister. She supports government policy, as all government ministers do. Katie Clark. 15,000 young disabled people are going to be affected by the changes um, to contributory employment support allowance. The worst 10%, so that's 1,500 new claimants, are going to lose £4,900 a year. Is this the government of values that the Prime Minister spoke about in May 2010? I think the important value with respect to employment support allowance is we're saying there are two groups. There's the support group, people who aren't able to work, who deserve to get that support over and above job seekers allowance and for as long as they need it without any element of means testing. The second element, the work-related activity group, are people who need help to get work but will be able to work. That's why they're in that group and they're going to get tailored help and support under the work programme to get them into work. Now, I know the Labour Party has set its face against all of welfare reform. I think they are making a massive mistake in doing so. Sir Mingus Campbell. What confidence can we have that unilateral intervention by Russia will put an end to the terrible violence in Syria? Well, I think we can have very little confidence in that. Frankly, uh, Russia and China set themselves against Uh, Arab opinion and world opinion in passing what would have been a strong and good UN uh, resolution. And I think my right hon. Friend, the Foreign Secretary, was absolutely right to push for that resolution. What we now need to see, and Britain will be playing a big part in this, is real engagement with the opposition groups both inside and outside Syria, bringing together the strongest possible international alliance through a contact group so that we can coordinate our efforts with respect to getting rid of this dreadful regime and then making sure through the EU and other bodies that we continue with the sanctions and pressure. Uh, The bloodshed in Syria is absolutely appalling. I think the Russians have to look at their consciences and realise what they have done, but the rest of the world will keep on fighting as hard as we can to give the Syrian people a chance to choose their own future. Michael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday I heard an expert, a health expert, who is visiting the UK, say that the NHS remains a beacon for care and effectiveness in the world, and that it needs to be improved and perfected, not changed. Will the Prime Minister accept that advice and abandon the health bill? I tell you what I think needs to be abandoned. That is Labour's approach to the NHS in Wales. Let me remind him what is that. He shakes his head. This is what's happening in Wales. This is what Labour are doing in Wales. They have cut health spending in Wales by £400 million. That is a 6.5% cut. 27% of people in Wales wait more than six weeks for diagnostic services. The figure for England is just 1%. And as I said earlier, a third of people waiting over 18 weeks for their operation in Wales. That is what you get if you get Labour. No money, no reform, no good health service. Last but not least, Mr Martin Vickers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Many of my constituents are among the 337 redundancies announced by Kerry Foods, based at Euro Park Industrial Estate, which straddles the Cleethorpes and Grimsby constituencies. 
the Honourable Gentleman from Great Grimsby and I have uh, approached various departments which, uh, for support which I'm sure will be forthcoming. One of possibility is the extension of the recently announced Enterprise Zone. Can the Prime Minister give some comfort to my constituents by uh, sympathetically looking at that proposal? Well, I'm grateful for the Honourable Gentleman's question. He's right, quite right to speak up for his constituents in this way. My right hon. Friend, the Chancellor, is very happy to look at the idea of expanding the Enterprise Zone and seeing what else we can do to help his constituents and make sure they get into work. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.